Welcome to the Forward Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with our latest episodes. Now let's get ready to dive into today's message. We know you'll be blessed. Give God a hand clap this morning. It's awesome to be able to be up here to, to speak. I never take it lightly when I'm asked to, to preach and it's just fun sometimes to get up here and to preach, but I covet your prayers today as we dive into the Word today. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles today, I'm not going to give a long introduction uh, here, but if you will, turn in your Bible to Ephesians 6. Also, we're just a house of honor today, and I just looked up and saw him. I knew he was going to be here, but I just saw him. I ain't talked to him. Sorry, I'm cutting out. Uh, can we just give it up for the Reverend Justin Bates in the house today, back home with us? From the Healing Place, St. Clair campus. He robbed us of an opportunity. He didn't tell us that he was staying in town for this weekend, or you'd got to hear. Thank you, Get you a pastor that will also serve you. Amen. Give it up for Pastor Justin while you're at it. Um, but Pastor Justin Bates is up at the Healing Place up around Birmingham uh, doing an awesome work up there. It's great to see you, brother. And here, Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word, one verse of Scripture. It's going to keep it easy on you today, at least for the Scripture reading. The rest of it may get rough, but the Scripture reading, uh, the scripture reading will at least be easy. It says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I want to preach a message today titled, At War. Will you pray for me, Father? I'm thankful, Father, for this opportunity that you have come, Father, to to be with us today, Father. I'm thankful for this opportunity to stand behind the sacred pulpit today, Father, and deliver your word. But, Father, I need your help today, Father. I do not want to deliver it on my own accord, but, Father, I just simply ask that you would speak to me today, Father. Speak through me today to your people today. Father, let us hear from heaven, thus says the Lord today. Let us dive into your word, Father. Let us be encouraged. Father, let us understand, first and foremost, that we have victory in you. Father, be quick to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated today. First and foremost, I need to give you a couple of things today. If you don't hear me, if I start doing a really terrible job and you start tuning me out, I need you to hear a couple of things up front. That is, number one, that we are in a war. Whether, whether you want to believe it or not, there is a war raging in the spiritual realm. Now, I need you to, to understand something today because I know that when we begin to talk about spiritual warfare and we begin to, to talk about those things, some people just automatically tune us out because you just like, I, I don't get that. I don't get this whole spiritual realm, earthly realm, and all that. And I'm going to try my best with God's help today to, to navigate that in a way that does not confuse you today, but I need you to understand that in the spiritual realm, there is a war raging for your soul. 1 Peter 2 and 11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He's trying to warn us of this war, of of the temptations, of, of Satan's plans to come against you and to separate you from him. But secondly, today, if you hear nothing else I say,
say, I need you to understand that not only are you in a war, I need you to understand that you already have victory in that war. The, the war may be ongoing, the war may still yet to, you may still be fighting it. But you have to understand that the victory was sealed over 2,000 years ago. When Christ died and he said, it is, it is finished, and he rose again on that third day, your victory in this war was sealed as long as you believe in him. Now you can either fight this fight. You can either understand today that there is a war and that there is things going on in the spiritual realm that the church ought to know about. Amen. Or we can just say, I'm okay with ignoring it. I'm okay with not knowing what is going on around me. I'm okay with just sticking my stand, hand, head, my God, I can't talk, head in the sand and, and just ignoring the spiritual realm. But can I tell you, if you're doing that, I'm not being mean up front here. I'm just telling you, you're losing the war. If you're just ignoring it and you think that it's just going to go away on its own and, and, and hear my heart behind this, if you're just saying, well, when I make it to heaven, that's when the war is going to be completely over. And that is true. That is, that is when our celebration is when our time on this earth will pass away. But can I tell you, it is, does not give us permission to ignore the current status of this war. It is still up to us to bear, put on our armor. This Ephesians 6, you, I could read on and I'm not going to for the sake of time, but it's where we start talking about the armor of God. It would not be there. There was, would be no need for the armor if there was not a purpose for us to fight this war. But understand that this war is something that Satan will always use in our lives. It is something that he is always going to, to try to use against us and convince us that this war is not important and that your life would be easier if you would just go with the flow, that if you would just do what mainstream people are doing and you would just do these type things, then, then it would be a much easier life to you. And I just want to tell you today he is correct. I know, I know we call him a liar, and I know, I know we say a lot of things, but I will let you know that if he's telling you that your life would be easier if you ignored it, you are correct. He is correct. Your life would be much easier if we ignored that there was a spiritual war happening for your soul. However, the reason he wants you to know that is because the second that you understand that there is a war, he has to understand the fact that he is already defeated in that war. But come on, somebody just get excited today for victory in the house. I'm going to need some help. I've already preached this message once. It's a rough message to preach, so I'm just going to need some help. Amen? We're going to tackle some things today. Why is Satan always doing this? Why is he always using these tricks of isolation and to, and to blind you? It's because when things that were done in dark can only thrive in dark. John 1 and 5 says that if the light shines in the darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it. When the light shines into darkness, darkness has no choice but to give way to the light. And Satan would try to tell you to ignore it and to bury it and to not bring it to light because that is the only way that he is victorious is if you ignore it. If you ignore it and you never pick up your sword, then and only then does he 
stand a chance of being victorious over your soul in your life. But our Bible reads that if we would begin to take those things that he does in dark and those moments that he tries to isolate you, but we would bring them into the light of Scripture, into the light of our friends, then we triumph every single time. Because I'm just here to get a little preachy up front and tell you devil is a defeated foe. On his belly shall he crawl all the days of his life and it is time for church folks to just be okay with walking in victory and picking up the sword and fighting today. We have to fight this battle. I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm going to get real personal and more of this than what I've ever probably done in, in a Sunday morning setting. But I just won't, I, I always said I'm honest to a fault and I'm an open book. If you don't like it, take it up with Pastor Justin. I would say take it up with me, but you probably won't like my response. <laughs> I love you. But this summer has been a summer of, of just frustration over my life. Most of you who know me knows that I'm a doer. I like to make check boxes, and I like to do things, and I like to complete that task, and I like to make sure at the end of the night when I go to bed and I close my eyes, how many check marks did I complete that day? Did I get enough accomplished? Did I do everything that I set out to do? And I'm going to be honest with you, this summer was one of the first times in my life that I went to bed with no check marks box. I'm talking about not even a single one. I did not get a single thing accomplished that day that I felt like I should have got accomplished. And you would think, well, Pastor Brandon, that's so trivial. It may be to you, but in my mind, those are big things. Those are big things that Satan would try to use against me. I'm going to be honest, one day I was sitting in bed and I was just sitting there just talking to God, not in a state of prayer, really not just not pouring out my heart to God. I was just trying to talk to him. And you can be mad at me if you want, but I ask God why a lot of times. He's a big God. He can handle the tough questions. And I asked him, and I was begging him. I said, God, why? God, what are you doing in my life? God, why is this? Why? I be, listen, I'm going to get real real. I don't think we live stream in this service, so I can get really, really honest with you. I was guessing, should I even have come into full-time ministry? This, this was a year of just a frustration. And I was like, this is my first year in full-time ministry. And, and God, did I miss you? God, is these are the things that, that I just not understand what you were saying. And I found myself in this moment of frustration and almost really getting to the point of being angry at God. And I've never really heard the audible voice of God. There's only a couple of times in my life that I can say, I know I heard him. The first time was when he called me to preach. I will never forget that day. It changed my life for the best. But also was that night. If there was ever a time that I heard him speak something directly to me, not through me, not through somebody else, not through a word, but a direct word from him, it was that night and he simply spoke, recognize the enemy. And as this season of turmoil went on, as this season of frustration that I was, that I was going through, I had failed. You can judge me if you want to. You can call yourself holier than me. That's okay. I'm just a real person up here today. But I had fallen down in slumber, really, in my spiritual eyes, and I did not see in the spiritual what was happening. I was taking everything at, at face value, and I began to think that everything was an attack and everything was against me, but God spoke, recognize 
the enemy. Recognize what is happening here. And as I began to unpack that and unfold that in my life, I understood what I was guilty of. I was guilty of putting faces to the enemy's schemes. And you say, Pastor Brandon, what, what do you mean? And I'm just be honest with you. If you're honest with yourself, you will be guilty or have been guilty of doing the same thing. You go through seasons of frustrations and you don't have the answers to questions and Satan's under attack. And all of a sudden you say, well, that's my boss's fault. It's because my boss doesn't like me. It's because my boss has this favorite employee. And it's because my boss did this. And if he would do better or she would do better, then I could do better. And we begin to put our picture of our boss on the attack of the enemy. Or we'll take it a step further and we'll take our co-workers and we'll say, this co-worker's not doing this and that co-worker's not doing that. And we begin to put that face to the attack of the enemy. You say, Pastor Brandon, I don't really get what you're talking about, so let's take it a little bit step personable. Because if you're honest with yourself, you have already done it to your own spouse. You'll begin to get frustrated in life and you'll begin to think that it's your spouse's fault. It's if my spouse was a better Christian, if my spouse read their Bible more, if my spouse did this, if my spouse done more chores, if my spouse was more attentive to my needs, then it would be a better marriage. Can I tell you, you are putting a face to the attack of the enemy. The attack is from Satan and we are guilty of labeling it something else. But I've come by this way to morning to remind church people that it is not flesh and blood. Alarm sounds should be going off in your head if your problem is with flesh and blood because the Bible says we rage war not against flesh and blood but against the dark one, against the spiritualities. And so if you're fighting flesh and blood, you're fighting the wrong fight this morning. But that's what his attack wants. That's what he tries his best to do, is to make flesh attack flesh and to separate us. Why? Why does he do this? Because he understands what happens when two or more are together. He understands. He is not dumb. And let me tell you something today. If you just have this little type idea of the Satan, don't get me wrong, I know he's under our feet, and I get the whole victory talk. We can talk about all those things. But if you think that Satan doesn't have tricks up his sleeve and that he is out there to deceive you, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He is there to attack. He is cunning. He, I'll go all the way back to Genesis. That is a word they used to describe him. He is cunning. And I'm not here to give him any privileges or give him a, a pep talk, but I am telling you he is an enemy, and he is an enemy that if you do not confront, and it's an enemy that you do not understand how he attacks, he will win. But today, I have come for one reason, and that is to tell you of the attack Maybe, and I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons I wrestle so much with delivering this message is something that you can talk to a lot of preachers about, is sometimes we get a word for us, and then sometimes we get a word for the church. And it's hard sometimes to navigate what that is. 
And I thought long and hard that if, was this just something for the season that I was going through? Was this something just to get me over the hurdle? Or if this was something that the church should hear? And I'm going to just be honest with you. The reason why I'm bringing it to you today is not to say that I am holier than thou and that I am mightier than you. But what I'm understanding with, through God is that if he is attacking me this way, then he is attacking the families of our church this way. And he's trying his best to cause division and to cause wedges in between the people. But he is after the unity. It is the only attack Satan has. I'm going to be honest with you, and I could go into a long study here, and I could pull out all the different attacks, but all of them come back to one center point, one main mission, and that is to separate us from God. It is to break up the unity. Why does this matter to him? Why does unity matter so much to Satan? For one, I'm going to give you my own opinion on the matter for whatever it's worth. But think about it for a second. Satan has seen heaven. He has been there. He has seen God the Father, the Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in their relationship and their unity and all of this. As a matter of fact, it is what got him kicked out of heaven. He thought of himself so highly that he wanted to be that close. He thought himself to be that close to God, and he wanted that. And his pride got him kicked out of heaven. He will never get to see that again. He will never get to behold glory again. He'll never get to see the face of the Father again. Why? Because he has allowed division between him and God. And then secondly, I, I heard, thought about this when Pastor was talking earlier. When we were made in the image of God. Do you want to know why you upset Satan so much? Is because you, the one thing he wanted the most was to be like God. That was his pride. That's what the thing that he wanted. He wanted to be like God, but it was you that was formed in his image. It was not him this morning. And it cannot, he cannot stand it. He cannot stand the fact that you carry the image that he longs so badly for. So he sends his demons and he sends his tricks to try to distract us and to turn us from one another. In the modern culture, we hear it like this, black versus white, and the great race war that is still going on even in today's modern culture. We hear it under terms like Republican versus Democrat. And we hear it under terms of, of homosexuality versus straight. And we'll get excited about those topics because we feel like that we know exactly what side and we do. Let's just be honest. The Bible's very clear on some of these. And we take this moral high road and we say, well, those things are just all Satan and, and they are. But they're after one thing in particular and that is to create division among people. The Bible is clear which is right and what is wrong. The only reason it is still a problem today is because Satan is keeping it stirred up because he can use it to divide you from your brother. But more personable today than modern culture, we'll talk for a moment about church problems. And you can buckle up your seatbelts for the turbulence is surely ahead. But we'll argue slow songs versus fast songs. We'll argue lights versus a dark 
scene setting for our worship. We'll argue if it's too hot or if it's too cold. And you say, Pastor Brandon, those things are so trivial. Yes, they are. They are trivial, but yet we'll use those things to say and allow Satan a foothold into our things that why don't they think about this? Why don't they do this and why don't they do that? You have these terms of, of holiness versus whatever you want to label modern Christianity now. There's like a thousand terms they're using to describe current Christianity. It'll look like denomination versus denomination. But what it is, is simply an attack on unity. It is an attack to separate church folks. It is a time, it is an attack of the enemy that is age old. Go back to the garden. It was the same thing he done with Adam and Eve. He did not come to Adam and Eve both and tempt them both. What did he have to do? He had to isolate Eve. He had to get her on his own well, away from Adam. Why? Because with Adam and Eve, Satan has no power. And because he was able to separate her, because he was able to isolate her and, and lie to her and, and use his tricks, a wedge was formed between man and woman. Because of that, sin entered this world and a wedge was then entered between man and God. And he tries his whole trick, his only thing, the only thing in his arsenal is to divide you. Now I need you to understand something today. First and foremost, not everything bad is Satan. I just need to teach you for a moment because if I don't and you get so caught up in, in being super spiritual and hear my heart, that you'll think that every single thing is a war and every single thing was Satan's fault. Do not give him that much credit. He, he's, he's pretty powerful, but he ain't got that much credit. Pastor Justin uses this illustration all the time, and I'll use it. If you have a 30-year-old refrigerator, and the 30-year-old refrigerator just quits working one day, guess what? It is most likely not Satan trying to tempt you or ruin your life. Your refrigerator was just old and needs a new one. Amen? You don't over-spiritualize things. And that's why this message is really so hard today because there's a balance of knowing what is spiritual warfare and what is just everyday life. Everyday life is hard. Everyday life comes with its own troubles and all. But what I've come by the way, this way to, this morning to do is really shed a light on the spiritual warfare that is taking place in our homes. Now, one problem with unity is this, is that we feel like the only way to, to be unified with one another is for me to give up 50% and for my spouse to give up 50% or my friend to give up 50%. And, and if I compromise and they compromise and we meet in the middle, then that is how unity is formed. Can I tell you, if that is your idea and that is your philosophy on unity, you have a flawed one this morning. You say, Pastor Brandon, what do you mean? Why do I have to, what, what happens if I give up 50% and the other person gives up? That's, that's perfect. No, it's not. That's creating people like you. That is creating people with your opinion on the matter and creating their opinions on the matter. Only true unity can come when we both get closer to God. It is in that moment, it is in the moment that we all try for, that when we get closest to God, that is when perfect unity happens. 
We often see this res uh, resembled in a lot of marriage books and a lot of, of training as a triangle. With God being at the top and with you being at one corner and then your spouse or the other person being at the other corner. The only way them two get closer together is their walk with God. As they get closer to God, as we get closer to our Father, then that is when true unity takes place because it means none of my opinions are correct. And that's hard to talk about. And it's 100% it's of me has to die so that way I can get closer to God. And it's when 100% of you dies and the 100% of the other person dies and you both walk in perfect communion with God that true unity exists between the brethren. But why is he after this? Why is it such a problem for Satan? Ecclesiastes 4 and 12 tells us, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. If Satan could use whatever foothold he can, and he will use whatever he can, to separate you and to divide you from unity with someone, and if he can isolate you, then he knows. He's not dumb. He knows scripture. And so he knows that if he can isolate you and get you all alone, then you cannot withstand him. That, that he has the power and he has the might to overtake you. But what he does not want you to understand and what he, does, what he fears the most is the fact of the next part of the scripture that two can withstand him. It does not take the whole church. It does not take you and, and someone with a pastoral title. It does not take you and the deacon. It does not take you and someone who's been in church 20 years. It takes you and one other Christian believing person and two people can withstand the very attack of the enemy today. Why does he want to separate you from that? Because it is his only hope of victory today. He is defeated. He knows where his power lies, and it is in the isolation. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a warring lion, seeking whom he may devour. How does a lion pick its prey? It doesn't go after the healthy person. It doesn't go after the, the, the herd that's in its prime. It goes after the one that has fallen behind. It goes after the one that is injured. Maybe the one who's experienced some church hurt. Maybe the one who, who is not fully in communion with their brother and their sister in Christ. And so they don't want to walk beside them, so they're just going to take five steps back and they're going to walk separate from their protection. It is in those moments of isolation that he is like a lion and he will come after you. But if you would walk in unity, if you would walk together with your brother and your sister and your spouse, then you have the victory today. You have the victory. I don't know why I want to keep saying that today, but it just needs to resonate with someone today that you and one other person has the victory today. Therefore, if he's after the unity, we have to understand that we need to protect the unity. If we know that that's the attack, if we know today that that is what he is coming after is the unity, 
then it is up for the church to stop it. We teach this in next steps. As a matter of fact, right now there are people in our conference room learning what I'm about to reteach, most of you, because I hope most of you went through next steps. And that is that we practice an atmosphere of grace here. We have eight atmospheres of our church. The first being a godly atmosphere. Anyone else think that's important? Amen. That we have a godly atmosphere. The number two thing in the eight atmospheres is an atmosphere of grace. How do we protect the unity of our church? How do we do that? We walk with an atmosphere of grace. We believe the best about people and make forgiveness a priority. I believe the best about people. Therefore, if I hear a rumor, therefore, if I hear that someone has been talking about me or if, or if somebody has said something ill of me, my first thought is not, they better watch what they say. Oh, come on, y'all from the South. What y'all said probably was worse than what I just said. That's not our first thought, though. If we're doing what the Bible and what God and what a Pastor Justin's vision for our church is, then we atmosphere of grace, then I say, surely you misunderstood. It's not that I heard something bad. It's surely somewhere something has been misunderstood. Surely something has been miscommunicated because we believe the best about people. Well, Pastor Brandon, it's just much easier to, to get mad and to not talk about it. It is. But then it festers. When we talk about protecting the unity, it's something we specifically, specifically talk about our members of our church. I said this earlier and I didn't put it in my notes, but I liked it. So I'm going to say it again. Because I already know some of you right now are like, well, that don't apply to me because I'm not a member. I never filled out the form. I never stood in front of the church. I'm not a member. How many of you, this is more than your second Sunday in the room? Anybody? This, everyone who's been here more than twice. Don't be, I'm not going to make you do anything awkward. If you've been here more than twice, raise your hand. Guess what? Welcome. You're a member. You're family. It is what it is. But it is up to each and every one of us then to protect the unity. You can go to the next slide. How do we protect the unity of our church? By acting in love toward other members. Our mission here is loving God and loving people. We love people. We don't wish them ill. We don't wish them harm. We don't hold grudges. We don't do any of that. We love people because we are loved by God. Everything we do should be clothed in an act of love. But lastly, the main thing I want to point out, because both of these say it, but we're going to forgive. I read a quote the other day that says, the most influential person in your life is the one that you have never forgiven. The one hurt the one thing that you will not let go of, it's the hill that you are ready to die on this morning. That thing, that person is the most influential person in your life because you will not let it go. 
Matthew 6 and 14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And we love that scripture. God, he's, he's going to forgive me. But verse 15 says, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. It's a somber truth this morning. That if you will not forgive, we cannot be forgiven. But because your father loved you enough that he sent his only son to die for you and to be forgiven of your sins, how much more so than should we want to? Not out of have to. But if that was the sacrifice it took for me to be forgiven back unto God, how much more so then should I want to forgive my brother? Today, you can stand. When I was preparing this message and when I began to come full circle really with this and, and, make, and make somewhat of it make sense in my head. You're like, you didn't do a very good job of that, I know. It makes sense somewhere up in my head though. Somewhere. I begin to just really look at this. And as I begin to step back and as I begin to look at it from a wider angle than just really my life, and I begin to see how it applied to the church. I'm gonna be honest with you. It started scaring me a little bit, to be honest. Not in a sense of that I was worried, because I know who has the victory. We opened up with that. But it was the fact that this plan is already in motion. That the attack of unity is already taking place. And I know some of you right now, you're like, what's going on? What's in the church happening? We're not talking about church right now. For one, stop looking for problems. That's a different thing. But what I'm afraid of is that it's starting in our homes. It's starting in our homes with spouse versus spouse, where father versus kid, mother versus child. And if we're not careful today to nip it, to fix it, then we're going to allow it to trickle into our body. But I want to remind you today that although the Satan may have formed the weapon, and it is, it doesn't take the prophetic, it doesn't take someone with super spiritual eyes to see that the weapon against marriage has long been formed. Not just because of this church, but because of what's happening in culture, but you can, I can get on a bunch of high horses right here and know that this weapon against marriages of unions have already been under attack. But today we have victory. This altar call is simple, but yet going to be difficult at the same time. First and foremost, I want us to spend some time today to pray for unity in our church. Not that there is not unity, but that God will protect it. That God would open us up, that God would 
open our spiritual eyes to see the attack, to recognize the enemy, and to protect the unity of this body. Secondly, I want us to pray for the unity of marriages. Husband and wife, if I could challenge you to do anything, if you trust me to do anything as your shepherd this morning, it would be spend some time today holding the hand of your spouse and praying for the protection of unity over your marriage. We pray for the unity in our families, the lost sons and the daughters, the father against their son, the mother against her daughter. We pray for unity to be restored. We pray for restoration of healthy relationships. I need to talk two seconds about that one, though. Restoration of healthy relationships. Not every relationship was healthy. And while forgiveness is required of us, in that relationship, you still must forgive them. It is not always appropriate or correct to restore that relationship. But last but not least, forgiveness and friendships. We've allowed Satan too many times to separate us from our godly friends. And those things, and I know that's a long list today, but that's what I want us to spend some time in prayer with. I'm going to pray. These altars are going to be open. You can come here. You can pray in your seats. This worship team is going to lift up some praise and worship. And let's just spend some time. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with our most recent episodes. To find out more, visit us at forwardchurchonline.com. There you can connect with us, learn more about our ministries, and submit any prayer requests you may have. We hope you join us again soon.